0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Kavanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Okay, John 14. We're back to the Gospel of John. You remember that? We were there. We are back in John 14, verses 1 through 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you... I'm sorry. uh, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also... Lord, on the heels of this promise, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We ask, would you speak to us through your word this morning? Would you declare your truth? Would you reveal Jesus afresh to us through this written word, Spirit of God, in the moments we have, speak? And we ask this because we believe it's according to your will And we ask it under your authority, and we ask it in your name, and we ask it clinging to the promise that whatever we ask in your name, you will do. And so please, have your way. Do a work in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The context of this passage is troubled hearts. Troubled hearts. You know, sometimes in a sermon... I'll kind of give the background and tell, the, tell what it's about, and then at the end there will be some kind of application. This passage starts with application. Look at the beginning of the verse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why are their hearts troubled? It really means stop having a troubled heart. Why are the disciples' hearts troubled? We're, here's why. Look at verse 33 in the previous chapter, 1333. Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I now also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So he has just communicated to his disciples, listen, I'm going somewhere, and uh, I'm going to be away from you, and you cannot come with me where I'm going. I mean, these guys have invested their life with Jesus. They've left everything to follow Jesus. They've given up everything. They've left their family, their jobs. They've traveled around. They've labored. They've worked. They've been on a roller coaster of the ups and downs of people receiving and rejecting Jesus Christ. And now he's telling them, after three years of intense relationship and partnership and care and love, I'm leaving and you don't get to go with me. Their hearts are troubled. And not only that, look at how he finishes... The chapter. He says this to Peter, verse 38 of 13. Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? I inserted that. That's who he's speaking to. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I'm going somewhere and you guys can't come. And by the way, the vocal leader of the bunch... The guy, who, the, the mouth of the disciples, the kind of guy who's most aggressive in following me and speaking his mind, Jesus, by tomorrow morning he will have denied me three times. I mean, this is rattling to the disciples. Their hearts are troubled because Jesus is going somewhere that they can't go, and the sort of verbal leader in the group will use his mouth, the mouth of the group will use his mouth to deny Jesus. And all of this on the heels of this triumphant entry into Jerusalem where they are all expecting his coronation, his kingship, his rule, and his reign, and it's getting weird fast. Because he's leaving them, and and Peter is going a different direction and denying Jesus. And so their hearts are troubled. It's sobering, it's confusing, it's perplexing. Troubled hearts. You know anything about a troubled heart? You ever had a troubled heart, the sort of dis-ease, restlessness, uncertainty, the sort of chafing of your soul that you feel when you're in difficult circumstances? You know anything about that? You ever wonder where God is in the midst of your circumstances, like here, Jesus, I'm going away? I'm going to be absent, is what he's saying to them. Now, he's going to explain more in a second, but he's initially saying, I'm going to be absent. Do you know what it's like to be in a situation where you wonder where God is in the situation? Have you ever been in a situation where God's decisions about things that happen to you aren't what you would have picked? I mean, which of the disciples is saying, that's a great idea. We were wondering when you were going to disappear and leave us all alone to fend for ourselves and to stand up against those who reject us and reject you. Wow, good plan. No, they're all saying, what? How can you leave us? You ever wondered where God is in your situation? If so, that produces a troubled heart. You ever look at your future and have, wow, I wonder how that's going to work out. What will it be like without Jesus? You ever had that experience? Have you ever failed miserably? I mean, being told by Jesus that you're going to deny him, Peter? Experience that? You ever failed like that, denied the Lord by your actions, by your sins, by your forgetting about him by your negligence, maybe by your outright denial as Peter did. You ever failed miserably? Ever have someone you respect fail miserably? Peter's the guy out front. Peter will be the guy in Acts who will be the spokesman who will deliver the sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's the man up front. And so some of those in the back, I'm sure, looked up to Peter. The man of faith is Peter. Steps out of the boat to walk to Jesus on the water, Peter. You ever had someone you respect, a Christian friend you respect, a parent, a leader that has failed? If you haven't, stick around, because that's happening sometime in your life, somewhere, for sure. That can be disillusioning, and it can bring a troubled heart. And some of us here today have troubled hearts. We're, We're facing disappointment. There's disappointment in the room. There's grief in the room. Um, there's perplexed minds in the room. There's fear in the room this morning. How do I know that? Because there's people here. <laughs> That's how I, I can see you. I mean, I can't see your heart. I don't know what's going on, on the inside, but I know you're here. And in a room this size and a group this side, there are troubled hearts. There's discouragements. And so this passage reaches out and grabs us by the soul and yanks us, and and Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Here's something I'm just increasingly convinced of, that in our culture, and by that I mean sort of the Frisco, you may not live in Frisco, but North Dallas, Frisco kind of environment is very deceptive because it appears like everything is great for everybody, and that can be true in our church culture as well. Just everybody looks, I mean, don't look around the room. I didn't walk in and go, wow, this is a troubled lot here today. You look around and you assume everybody's got their life together. I had an opportunity yesterday at the invitation of a friend to serve lunch to 200 homeless people in South Dallas yesterday. And so I was, as I was in South Dallas among uh, the broken, broken, broken folks, here's what stood out to me most. Not that the homeless were that much different than the group gathered here today, It's just they wore their troubles on their sleeve. Who they were on the inside showed up on the outside. And so I could look in the eyes, and sometimes they wouldn't even make eye contact, and that says a lot. But I could see on their face, I could see in their clothing, to be frank, I could smell their reality. And the troubles of their soul were just out there. To be seen. In Frisco and in conservative Christian Frisco church life, that's not the way it is. So we can come in here today and say, why are we preaching a, a sermon about let not your hearts be troubled? That's not relevant here. That's relevant down for the homeless or the squatter's camp in Namibia that we all saw. You go tell them let their, not, their hearts not be troubled. Because the truth is our circumstances may be different than the squatter's camp or the homeless in South Dallas, but there's troubled hearts in the room. And if your heart's not troubled today, then guess what? You're called by God to be in community so that you bear the troubles of others. Everyone in the room should be affected by a troubled heart. If you don't have one, if I don't have one today, then I should be pursuing the Lord until that does happen to me, and I should be bearing, bearing the troubled hearts of those I'm called to walk with in my family, in my community group, in my church, and those in the culture that don't know Jesus as well. Do not be deceived. Folks have troubles. Folks have troubles. And Jesus here says, so could could we just have permission to have troubled hearts, first of all? If Jesus can stand there with disciples and say, your hearts are troubled, don't have troubled hearts, could we just have permission and honesty to say at Grace Church, we can have troubles and our hearts can be troubled. We can be fearful. We can be lacking faith in God. We can be anxious. Um, we can be discouraged, we could be ready to give up. Paul says he despaired of life at one point in Corinthians. We can despair of life, we can be lonely, we can be depressed, discouraged, disillusioned. We can experience pain, grief, and loss. Even if we're dressed a little bit up and we smell okay and we look okay and our exterior life appears okay, Let's be honest and say we have troubled hearts at times. The disciples had it, and Jesus is standing three feet away. Certainly in his, quote, absence, we could experience that. Well, this is what he says. The answer to trouble is ultimately to trust in Jesus. That's what he says. And he gives two primary reasons. One, he's going to prepare a place, so he's preparing for our future. And secondly, he's answering our prayers. So Jesus said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me, verse 1. What's the answer to a troubled heart? It's trust in Jesus, so believe in me. And he gives a very clear reason. First of all, I'm preparing for your future. He says that he's leaving for their good, that he's going to prepare a place. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I keep reading that wrong. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So he said, look, I've told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's because in going to my father's house, and there's plenty of room, many rooms there. And so he says, I'm going away, and ultimately I'll be back to get you. I go to prepare a place for you, verse 3. I'll come again, I'll take you to myself, and where I am, there you may be with me also. So he's saying, I'm going, and I'm coming back to get you, and I'm going to my Father's house. He's speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. It's his way of speaking of heaven. I don't know what your picture is of heaven is. But you know what Jesus says about heaven? He says a couple of very important things. There's a lot of speculation on heaven that's probably not so helpful. You know, will my pup, will my dog be there? You know, maybe. Will my cat be there? Assuredly not. I um, <laughs> can end the, end the speculation. There's cats hissing at me from there. I've never been hissed at, except at that moment. Unbelievable. So, believe what you want. But, um, no, I don't, I don't hate cats at all. I'm, I've made several jokes about them, and I don't want one, because I'm allergic to them, so I don't like them. Okay, but I don't hate them. Okay, uh, so there's a lot of speculation about what will be in heaven, but here's two things Jesus tells us about heaven that are most important here. First of all, he says heaven is home. I'm going to my father's house. The image of heaven that he gives... Here Now, it's a city. It's viewed as a city in in Revelation, at the end of Revelation. But here he calls it a home, and it's a home with many rooms. It's my father's house. It has many, many rooms. Why is that? Because there's a multitude of people that are going to be in heaven, believers. The book of Revelation, John communicates it's a countless uh, multitude, innumerable number of people are are there. And he says, I'm going to make preparation. It's, it's not a literal house where everyone who believes in Jesus gets a room. He's not saying it's like a celestial heavenly college dorm or something like that, where everybody's got a room in the dorm of heaven or something. He, he's using a picture that everybody could understand. God the Father is going to welcome us into his house and I'm preparing a room for you. Is Jesus literally swing? he was a carpenter, is he swinging a hammer in heaven? That's not what he means. He's using a metaphor that the Father's welcoming you into his home. I'm going away, but I'm preparing to receive you. Because you're coming home. This isn't your home. The Bible says we're sojourners, we're travelers, we're passing through. He says, I'm going to bring you home. So trust Jesus in your trouble, because as you look to eternity, you will realize that something better is on the other side, and it's the presence of my Father. It is his house. This isn't some kind of escapist mentality, by the way. Like Christians don't deal with reality. They think about heaven. This is what Jesus says. Now, it could be an escapist mentality. It could be. But it needn't be. Because Jesus says when your heart's troubled, I'm gonna start talking to you about the Father's house and there's room for you and there's room for a lot of people and I'm preparing to receive you into your home, your permanent residence where everything will be right. All that has been broken will be fixed. All the sin will be redeemed. All the pain will be erased. So I'm leaving, but it's temporary, and it's to prepare for you to come home where I will come back. He actually says, I'm coming back to get you. Suffering in the Bible, heaven's never pointed to as an escapist route so that we don't deal with reality. What's more real than heaven, Jesus would say? That's the most real of all. And you see where people suffer in the Bible, there is a glance towards heaven that we frequently get. What book of the Bible has the most description of heaven in all of it? In all the books of the Bible? It's the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is written to seven churches with people in it who are struggling. And he writes to people that are being persecuted and suffering and struggling, and he gives them a glorious view of the reign of Jesus and the power of God and the glory of heaven. Read Revelation 20 and 21 at the end there. The glory of the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he holds out to people whose property is being confiscated, who are being repressed and oppressed for their faith, and some may even be dying. He says, look to eternity. That's why many of the Negro spirituals that are written are hymns of faith from people who endured the horrors of slavery, and often their biblical response was to sing of glory. Why? Because like in the book of Revelation and like John 14, suffering, one response to suffering when our hearts are troubled is to look to eternity. Not to escape reality, but to inform our reality and to give us strength to carry on. Here's the second thing we learn about heaven. Not only is it home, which communicates belonging, but most of all, heaven is to be with Jesus. Verse 3 I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Here's what he says This is heaven. It's to be with Jesus. And there's nothing else needed. There's nothing more glorious. There's nothing greater to look forward to. And if that doesn't stir our troubled hearts, if that doesn't encourage us, then we don't have a glorious enough grasp of Jesus. And I don't frequently. Because troubles can feel Uh, like they flood my heart and mind at points. And when troubles are flooding my heart and mind, when circumstances and challenges are flooding my heart and mind, when confusion is flooding my heart and mind, what I need, I don't need the circumstances to change. Sometimes God does that many times, and that's glorious. But what I need is I need to see the person and the character of God. I need to see the glorious nature of Jesus, because the hope for a troubled heart is to be with him. Our troubles are very short-lived. And uh, ultimately the goal is to be with him. If your troubled heart leads you to dream about heaven, if your troubled heart leads you to long to be with the Savior, that is not weak faith. That's biblical faith. Now, he does stuff for us in our circumstances. And I'm... Skipping about half my message right now and going to that here we are, just really, you didn 't need to know that, but i 'm just i 'm just thinking out loud here as I navigate this because here 's how he closes the passage uh, he closes the passage with this statement about whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He acts in the present as well, he st- causes our heart to look to the future. And he acts in the presence by answering prayer to glorify God. He says, verse 12... He tells us before that, He's the way to heaven. He's the truth. He's the life. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God. He's going to take us to heaven. He's not just going to point the way. He's not going to give a road map. He's going to come back and take us to heaven. So he says that. And then at the end, he says, verse 12, If you believe in me, the works I do, you'll do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is a difficult verse to understand. How will his followers, not just the disciples, whoever believes, do greater works than he will do. I mean, I read that verse, I mean, how do you you read that? How do you think about that? You think, I can't even wake up and get out of bed for my quiet time and I'm going to do greater works than Jesus? Something doesn't sound quite right about that. Well, um, he ties it to the future. He says, I'll ask, he says, um, uh, the works that I do, greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And the next few verses, beginning like in verse 15, we'll look at this next week, he says that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. After the Spirit comes and dwells in you, then you're going to do greater works than I'm going to do. And so that starts with the book of Acts. The book of Acts starts by saying this is the, you know, this is the continuation of what Jesus began to do. That's what Acts says. So the book of Acts shows what Jesus did after his ascension. What did he do? He poured out the Spirit, and then the disciples began to do greater works. Did they do greater healings? No. Did they do greater uh, nature miracles? No. Did Did they do greater exorcisms delivering people of demons? No. Well, what's the greater works that they did? It starts at Pentecost. Peter stands up, empowered by the Holy Spirit who's been poured out, the Holy Spirit comes down and saves 3,000 people that move from death to life, dead heart to life heart, darkness to light. That never happened in Jesus' ministry. (laughs) When Jesus was on earth, he had not poured out the Spirit. He had not died for our sins. He had not been resurrected. He had not been ascended to the Father and poured out the Spirit. And so he had followers that came along... for sure, but many of them went different directions. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 are saved. And then what happens? More get saved. The gospel goes forward. Gentiles get saved. Churches are planted. And the gospel message goes international. That's a greater work. There's no greater work than going from death to life. There's no greater work than conversion. If you're saved here today, that is greater than any physical healing imaginable. If you are here today and you've been born again, that's a greater miracle than feeding 5,000. It's still the miracle of Jesus. Jesus did it. He's the one who gave you new life through the Spirit. But that is a greater work. Gentiles coming to Christ, not just the Jews, that's the greater work. Church is being planted. Look around. These are the greater works that God is saving people as the gospel is declared. And so the greater work is happening now. And he says that what we ask in his name, he will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He's not saying just write up your list and and I'll do whatever you want to do. You are sovereign and I'm here to serve you. That's not what God says. He says what you ask in my name, that means according to his will, under his authority, his name is his character. His name represents his will. His name represents his person. His name represents his sovereignty and his rule. 1 John 5 says, whatever you ask in his name, we, if we ask in his name, we ask according to his will, rather. We know that he hears us and we have what we ask for if we ask according to his will. So the Bible tells us. So whatever we ask in his name, according to who he is and his will, he's going to do it to glorify the Father. And it's interesting to me that that's tied to these greater works. That's tied to our living for the glory of God. That's tied to our being a witness. That's tied to us living in community as the people of God. That's a greater work. Acts 2 is a greater work. They're filled with the Spirit. They're giving what they have to one another. They're building their lives together. They're fearing the Lord. They're studying the Bible. They're praying. They're having hospitality in one another's homes. And the Lord is adding daily those who are being saved. Acts 2, 42 through 47. That's a greater work. That's actually a greater work than multiplying food. It is, because it's the salvation of souls, of people being built together to be a community of faith, to declare the gospel and represent the work of Jesus Christ. So here's what he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now we're going to finish the chapter next week. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled, because I am going away. But because I'm going away, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be preparing a place for you. So look to eternity, your home, and the day that you'll be with me. And implicitly, in the meantime, to get to know him better. Because we will be with him face to face. That's the first thing I'm doing. And you don't have to find out the way, and you don't need directions, and a spiritual map, and three steps. And uh, Believe in me. I'm the way. I'm the truth of life. I'm coming back to get you. Whew, that's securing. He saved us. He'll get us. He'll take us to heaven. It's not what we do. That's really, really good news. So he says that. I and the Father are one. You've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You read the Gospel of John as we've been doing and studying, we know what God is like because we've seen Jesus, and he's coming back for us. And he, secondly, he says that for right now, you're actually going to be given to greater works It's better that I go away because my going away, my death and resurrection, will forgive your sins, defeat the power of sin by the resurrection, defeat the power of death by the resurrection, pour out the Spirit upon you to empower you to live for my glory, to use my gifts that I will give you by the Spirit, to declare my gospel, to live in the light of my gospel so that people come to Christ, so that the church is built up, so that people are drawn into knowing me. That's what he says he's going to do. And so, as you're about that, I'm going away, but it's better for you. Don't have a troubled heart about my absence. I'm going to be using you, doing things through you. I'm even going to use your difficulties. Use your difficulties. That's what happens in the book of Acts. God uses difficulties and the gospel goes forth. Rob pointed this out to me recently, which is so helpful. In the, in the book of Acts, there's people disagreeing together. Paul and Barnabas go separate ways. And the gospel is in that going forth. There's persecution. The church is being hindered and persecuted by unbelievers. And the gospel is going forth. There's temptation for sure to be afraid in the book of acts in the early church there's challenges there's demonic attack against the believers Um, and god is delivering them and god is working through difficulty the book of acts is not the story of ease revival is not ease it's god's overcoming power in the light of difficulty. So let not your hearts be troubled, because in your sickness, God can glorify himself. You are positioned in your weakness to experience his power. When I am weak, I know his power. When I am in my own strength, that's all you got, and that ain't much. When we're wrestling together in relational challenge, let's humble ourselves and respond to the Lord in our marriage challenges, family challenges, friendship challenges, challenges in the marketplace at the job and your job the difficulties you have there let's submit ourselves humbly to god and receive his power to be a witness that the reconciling power the gospel to be displayed in that where our circumstances are uncertain we don't know our future we're perplexed confused overwhelmed troubled let's look to him because god and let's pray and ask for His power, ask for His strength, ask for Him to act, because He will answer those prayers that the Son may glorify the Father, that He will answer those prayers, and that greater works will occur. Greater works. Greater works. Listen, God manifesting His presence in trouble is a great work. God saving people through trouble is a great work. God building the church together through trouble is a great work. God reconciling a marriage and a family in trouble is a great work. So let's ask in our troubles and watch him work. The vehicle of mission, I think it's trouble. (laughs) I think that's the biblical story. Where does mission go forth in the Bible where it's all ease? Not in the life of Jesus, they kill him. Not in the life of the apostles, they kill them. So, The idea of ease as the means of transporting the gospel is just not in the Bible. The means of ease to conform us to the image of Christ and sanctify us, that's not in the Bible. The means of ease to mature us, to look more like Jesus, that's not in the Bible. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come, right? I don't know the word. His grace has brought me safe thus far, I think it is, and grace will lead me home, something like that, right? Amazing grace. That's the work of God. So don't be troubled. Well, well, be troubled, but in your troubles, don't let your hearts be troubled. In your troubles, look to God. Jesus is coming back to get us to be with him, and it's not long before you die or he returns. It's short. He's coming. And in the meantime, know that he's the way that will take us. Know that he's got greater works for the church to do and that he's going to do those greater works in response to prayer because the Father's glorified the Son when we ask for him to change circumstances or to change our heart in the midst of unchanged circumstances so that we glorify him. That's what he's got for us. So, in the midst of the troubles, there's promise, there's hope, and there's meaning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for grace today that you give us these promises. And we pray that our eyes, Lord, would look towards you. We pray that our hearts would be lifted towards you in faith. We pray that those of us who are troubled today would have a vision of eternity and a hope to be with you. And for those of us who are troubled today, we pray that it would be sustaining grace to experience your greater work in, in demonstrating your power to save, to sustain, and to mature us in the grace of God. And we pray that you would answer many prayers as we cry out in your name. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.